Hi, this is Sandy Rios, and you are listening to Sandy Rios 24-7, and we're so happy that you are. We're getting great feedback. I so appreciate, you know, all of your comments. And by the way, if you have something you'd like to say, you can call 662-821-2040. You can record your message. Keep it concise. You have about two minutes, but we're going to be using these on the air. We've already used a few of them, but it's 662 621-2040, or you can contact us at sandy at AFR.net. That's sandy at AFR.net. Well, I don't know how many of you know this, but if you love American history like I do, you might have heard that before the Revolutionary War, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There was a great awakening, they call it. They called it an awakening because it really was affecting people in this country who knew about Jesus from their roots. They knew. They weren't Buddhist or Hindu. They were Christian in their roots. But they were not awake. They were not quickened to the Holy Spirit. And God poured out a massive revival. I've heard that, you know, jails emptied, prisons emptied. Uh, It was just an amazing thing in the culture. And, And it probably fueled the passion for God that our founding fathers expressed in their writings, in their statements, um, the scripture verses all over, you know, the major monuments and our documents. It's just amazing. And it was that was the platform, the background, the, the, the hunger for God and the presence of him in the lives. George Washington uh, actually led Bible studies when he was commander-in-chief. And before he was commander-in-chief, he wrote a book of prayer when he was a kid, uh, when he the war was over, the King of England, George, who had been his enemy, actually said that George Washington's character was one of the wonders of the world. He was a devoted Christian, and that was our first, that was our founding father, the chief among them. All right, so then uh, fast forward, uh, you know, about 100 years, and another revival broke out just before the Civil War. And that reminds me of that... Um, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. That song, he is tramping out the vengeance where the grapes of wrath have stored. He has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. Our God is marching on. That song known as the Battle Hymn of the Republic was written by Julia Ward Howe. And the story is that Julia was visiting uh, an encampment. I think it was Yankee soldiers. uh, And it was dark. And she was just visiting the camp to, to, I don't know, to minister. She was escorted by someone. And she observed the soldiers uh, as they were actually reading their Bibles by the fire. And she penned this verse of the Battle Hymn of the Republic. I have seen him in the watch fires of a hundred circling camps. They have builded him an altar in the evening dews and damps. I can read his righteous Sentence by the dim and flaring lamps, his day is marching on. Then you know the chorus, glory, glory, hallelujah, glory, glory, hallelujah, glory, glory, hallelujah, his day is marching on. I want to thank Preborn because they have been uh, making these programs possible. Uh, they have been our sponsor now for the the five weeks or so we've been uh, recording. They've told me this morning that there's a new study from Charlotte Lozier Institute that reveals more than half of women who have aborted their children are being pressured from outside forces. Now, Dan Steiner is the president of Preborn, and he actually says those numbers are low. Last year alone, Preborn Pregnancy Network administered almost 100,000 pregnancy tests. 
Our network clinics are seeing 80% of these women being coerced to have abortions. I know a lot about this. I've done a lot on abortion through the years. And yes, it's usually a, a parent that's embarrassed, a boyfriend who doesn't want a baby, a husband who doesn't want another baby. It's generally not the woman who generates this. That's been my experience too. Interestingly enough, one out of four women uh, have had abortions in the United States. And right now, a huge percentage of them, in fact, 54% of all of them are dumped in a woman's bathroom, and that's because of the French abortion pill. Oh, I could say so much about this, the damage it does, the horrific thing it does uh, on a woman's mental health, and on the husbands, uh, or the, the fathers, many years later. And so Preborn is in the business of trying to help women make a different choice. And they do that by providing ultrasounds to these women where they can see their babies, and most of them, when they see those babies, do not want to terminate their life. If you would like to help uh, to support Preborn, all you have to do is go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. A gift of $28 will buy one ultrasound to help save a baby's life and, and change the mother's life to preventing all kinds of damage uh, emotionally as well as physically. So so there it is. All right, um, one last little housekeeping thing. You know that you can catch us on all the podcast networks. Our home base is AFR.net, uh, or you can download the app, AFR, and that's a wonderful way to listen anytime, anywhere. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Getter or Truth Social, YouTube, Rumble, and you can go to sandyrios.com. Uh, that's the website if you want more information. All right, enough of that. Uh, sit back and relax. This Actually, it's possible that this discussion could change your life. Let's listen. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness that we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice, not social justice, but God's justice, what's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association, a pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. We're talking with Wayne Atchison, who is the author of When God Used Students to Wake a Nation. And the, the, that book is about a revival that broke out at Asbury University in 1970. Now, in recent days, there's been incredible revival, and that means that God, this happens when God pours out His Spirit. For those of you who are Christians who just don't know anything about this, Acts chapter 2, it's just a glimmer. This is we get we get a taste of what happened to the believers there when the Holy Spirit came down and filled them. But in this case, it produces incredible repentance and weeping and humility. It patches friendships. It stops the divides between people. It transforms their lives. And one of those revivals broke out earlier at Asbury University in 1970. And Wayne. Um, uh, is the author of this book, which talks tells the story of that. So, Wayne, thank you for joining me again. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Um, it's my joy, my pleasure. I can tell you. 
Oh, mine, mine too. I'm, I'm actually really excited. I, I have to say, before we ask you some questions about 1970, uh, because of the work that I do, and I've been in uh, uh, politics and issues uh, as a Christian for years, doing media and Fox and all kinds of places, going, you know, where angels fear to tread and media, and watching our kids just degenerate, watching the culture. Every day, everyone is experiencing this. This has been what I've been living in all of these years, paying attention. It's been very, uh, it's been very sad and depressing and kind of hopeless at times. And so I've often thought, you know, when I was a young, uh, in the 70s, there was this great revival among the hippies, um, and it was powerful, and it was such an odd thing for those of us that were not hippies, but God moved in them and saved them and created great music out of that movement and has, you know, a lot of those people have filtered out into the culture to make a difference wherever they are now. And so in 1970, when this... Uh, Revival broke out at Asbury. What do you recall, Wayne? I know you wrote about it, but do you recall the event in 1970? Oh yes, um, it happened on February 3rd, 1970, and Janine Brabon, who was a freshman co-ed, um, two and a half years before, she was the daughter of a missionary from South America. They all went to Asbury. The whole family. She came and she sensed that that campus needed another revival. They'd had revivals before, but not like anything that was about to happen. So after two and a half years and praying with other students, they expected revival. Do you think it's, you think they didn't ask for revival? They asked that Jesus would come. Do you think he's going to come today? Do you think he's going to come tomorrow? They would ask each other when they finished up. And so one night, the night before, they gathered in that Hughes Auditorium, and they said, uh, they, paid, they prayed late, and they said, let's just go on and get some rest because I, don't, I, I think Jesus is going to come real quick and real soon. And they expected it. And so sure enough, in that chapel service, February 3rd, it was 24 degrees, snowing outside. The academic dean did this. He, he simply was in charge of chapel that day, gave his testimony. Open it up, and, and of course, that's when one of the toughest students on campus, uh, the one, the wildest guy, just stood up in the senior section and says, I'm a hypocrite, but last night in the dorm, God came into my heart and my life, and I'm different, and I'll never be the same. And, and that's how it started, with one testimony after another of people coming up, giving their testimony, confession of sin, repenting, and just walking deeper with the Lord, and just the altar just filled with tears, and, and it lasted seven days and seven nights. And uh, it was something that uh, was prayed up for a long time when it happened. And so that's how that, that revival got started. And to me, Sandy, in all of my uh, study of Christian, of, of history of revivals, history of revivals, I, I believe it was the greatest campus-led, student-led revival in American history. And I, I, I know there have been other great ones, but this one was fabulous. It was amazing. Now, one, you know, hallmark, when I re read about the Great Awakenings in the United, in the United States, uh, we've had two, one before the Revolutionary War, one before the Civil War. I, I love reading about that, and I am going to have a future conversation about that. 
But one thing that I noticed is it was not it was not led by person. It wasn't like a pastor preaching or it wasn't an organized event. Uh, it, it was not orchestrated by anyone. There were not ushers. There was not a program. Is that is is that how you would describe what happened in 1970? In uh, was there a leader in this? Well, there was a, a leader. The the leader, the prayer leader, was a freshman girl. And let me tell you what she did. When she got to the campus, she was led to go to the registrar's office and get a list of every student, uh, 1,100 students, and all the faculty and staff. And everywhere she went for two and a half years, she had that list. And she would be in the lunch line, and she would pray for students. She prayed for students. She prayed for the faculty. And then she organized other groups to pray. And she had six groups that used the... uh, the Wesley Disciplines system at that time, it was like fasting, it was like reading scripture, it was like certain times for prayer, it was a lot of disciplines. And about six different groups uh, met, and there was only six in the group, and the Saturday before this revival took place, Dr. Dennis Kinlaw, the president, had them to give the chapel. And he said it was the most impressive chapel he'd ever heard. And it was just a few days later when this revival broke on that campus. So it was led by a freshman girl who, who was a junior <laughs> when this happened. And, and, and Sandy, the great thing about it is Janine Brabon went to South America, and she leads about thirteen to 1,500 people to Christ every year uh, individually. She's amazing, a great affirmation, confirmation of this 1970 revival. And I will say this, that uh, Janine is, we stay in touch all the time because she helped me write this book, and she made sure I had it all correct. And um, so we're going to gather it at uh, Asbury. Amazingly, next week, we're already scheduled for months for the 200th anniversary <laughs> oh, wow. of, the, of the Collegiate Day of Prayer, which started in 1823 in that, in that first Great Awakening. And they were praying for college students, and it, it's the 200th anniversary. And about a year ago, they said, we ought to have this at Asbury University. And so it's going to be held February 23rd, and uh, we're all going to be there to celebrate that. And then look what happened. Revival came there last week. You know, I was watching um, a video. Uh, you're maybe you're probably familiar with all of this, but Dr. Kenlaw, that you mentioned, the president of the university, in his own words, was not there when this happened, and he was out of town. And of course, in 1970, you know, you couldn't, as you described uh, in an earlier uh, podcast, there was no, you know, you had to use a payphone. I mean, you didn't have a cell phone. You didn't have you know, texting, you didn't have any of that. And he said that when he called back to find out what was happening, he said God, God's presence filled that phone booth. He said he, he was overwhelmed with the presence of God just being connected and hearing about what's happening on the campus. That's hard for us to imagine, uh, to imagine unless you describe, unless you've experienced something like it, Wayne, but... Um, yeah. All right, so during that time in 1970, as I understand it, classes were even closed. And they, was it they were closed or there was prayer in the classes? How did that work? All right, when, when chapel ended, 
that day, it started at 10 o'clock, and then one student after another would stand up in Hughes Auditorium until they thought, well, you need to come and line up up here and stand behind the podium so we can hear you better. And so that's how it started. So at 11 o'clock, nobody moved, not, not, not one person. They have chapel, you know, three days a week, and you're required to go to chapel. And, um, and then at 12 o'clock, nobody moved. And it was just going, the fire fell on that place. Jesus walked into that Hughes Auditorium, and nobody wanted to leave. And those, those handful of students who missed chapel thought the rapture had come. They wondered, <laughs> where is everybody? And, uh, and so that was, it just kept on going. And I'm telling you, uh, they, just, they just immediately, it was such a flood of uh, the power of God there. And the students were so in prayer and, and, and you know, crying and weeping and, and uh, confessing their sins that they just, uh, doctor, you know, the uh, academic dean just uh, closed down classes immediately. And they didn't have class for seven days. And, and, uh, and so, yes, uh, Dr. Kenlaw was in Alaska, had left that morning, and uh, he said he'd never felt the presence of God so much in his life. And this is a real godly man I'm talking about, as he did in that phone booth. And he got back, and, of course, then he just he just came back, and he said, when I walked in that place, uh, you know, at 2 o'clock that morning, I took the back seat, the farthest seat away. I didn't want to be in a distraction because you're kind of a papa figure to all the students. And so it was really just student-led, and and I hope that that people will, if they can and they're interested, will get the book because, uh, Sandy, two students and a faculty member had the presence of mind even then to write down what was happening hour by hour. How many people <laughs> were at the altar? Who's just confessed this sin? What song has just been sung? Uh, what What is happening in this place? And how many people are... are uh, here at two o'clock in the morning, and uh, and so I used the best of all the things that had been written to put it in a short book to show people what revival really looks like when it takes place. Because so many of our books about revival is how to have revival, but I love this because I took the heart of of what really happened, what sins were confessed, and and what changes were taking place in the lives of these students, even at that time. Um, in just one week's time, and then what happened as they went out over the next few months. And then, uh, Sandy, I went back for the 50th anniversary of this revival and was sitting in chapel 50 years later at 10 o'clock, and, and God just, and I heard people who were students at time, that time give uh, about three students stood, and they were, you know, they're 70 years, years old now, and they stood and told what happened here 70 years ago, and God said, well, you need to put this in the last part of the book. So I put what had happened 50 years in the last part of the book. But uh, it, it, uh, it just shows you really, this book just shows you really exactly what happens in revival. It's thrilling. It's exciting. It's something that you rarely read anywhere else. And, and so that's, that's what happened there. It, it, uh, and then they did resume class after seven days, and but they kept that chapel open, and it was open for a long time. Students could still go in there and pray. Oh, the lights were on at night, and uh, these students just kept going from place to place for months to, 
to report on this, what had happened at Asbury. And, and, and uh, one church in Indiana where students went, uh, just to give a testimony, their revival lasted 50 days in Anderson, Indiana. And it was just thrilling and things that happened. Uh, and a student would, you know, I'll just say this, that two, Dr. Kinlaw said the least impressive the student was, the greater impact it made. <laughs> now, I love that. <laughs> Sometimes they would go to a place and they wouldn't even be introduced. They'd just get up and talk. Their, their name wouldn't even be mentioned. And they would just say, we're having revival at Asbury, and this is what's happened. And God was present there, had prepared those people when they got there with those, those people they were speaking to, and, and they began confessing sin, and so many great things happened in okay. classrooms and schools and churches. And, and um, it was just a tremendous movement of God, and I see it happening all over again, all over again. We're talking with Wayne Atchison. He's with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. He's the ambassador and historian for the Billy Graham Library and Archive Centers. And he's the author of When God Used Students to Wake a Nation. And uh, that's the first, or well, the first major, I suppose, revival at Asbury that happened in 1970. And, of course, if you're paying attention to the news, those of you listening know that Asbury University is has been recently, and by the time you listen to this, we're not sure what's going to be happening, but they've been going through the very same thing, where people don't want to leave. Hundreds are, hundreds and hundreds are kneeling at the altar, and it's just an amazing thing. Now, Wayne, before I let you go, this I don't want to end on a downer, but I do think this needs to be said. I know, because my son uh, is a pastor now, has his Ph.D., but I know that in the course of his studying in Divinity School and elsewhere, uh, he was taught that Dr. Graham's methods of revival were just didn't matter, didn't were not important because they were just a flash in the pan. They didn't stick. People did not uh, you know, uh, continue to serve God. And so, therefore, his method uh, was just kind of humorous to some people now, to some younger seminarians now. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I'm telling you because it grieves me every time I hear it, but I'd love your response to that. Well, my response to that is um, when, Mr., when Mr. Graham went to have a crusade, they had, it was, it was a year-long process of organization, 12 to 13 months, and you didn't go unless there was a huge majority of churches that invited you to come. That's in every crusade he had. And I can tell you this, that there was tremendous follow-up of all those people, those three and a half million people that came down the aisle to Just As I Am. There was tremendous follow-up. And even today, when Franklin goes out and Will goes out, Will Graham, his son, goes out, our people stay too much to make sure every person who came forward is involved in a church, that a church has contacted them. And, 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 and also, if they, they check on them after a month, and if they haven't responded and, and uh, contacted those people, they turn them over to another church. So I would say this to, you know, to that, what you just said, you know, if God led those people into a crusade, and they walked the aisle, and they made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And, you know, we've got thousands of stories of how people just happened to walk in there, didn't know what they were walking into, but they, they heard the gospel for the first time. They quit drinking on the spot. They were drunkards. Life-changing experiences happened immediately, and it was lifelong. 
and it, it, and their salvation was secured in Jesus Christ. If he can lead them in there, Sandy, he can certainly find ways for them to be a disciple, find ways for them to be followed up on, and, and, and to find a church and to be around Christians that can uh, solidify their decision and the, to, for them to make sure their name's written in the you know, that they're secure knowing that their name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life and that they're going to heaven when they die and they're not going to hell. And so we have tremendous... Hey, Mr. Graham had discipleship from 1950 on. He was keen on discipleship for all these people who came forward. That was one of his greatest passions. And his greatest... He, he said near the end of his life, his greatest uh, legacy was training to train other people, other disciples, train evangelists, train pastors, and to help them to be more impactful and more effective in their ministries. And so Mr. Graham was the most humble man on earth. He was uh, sold out to preach. He was Jesus conscious 24 hours a day, and he was just a man of God who, who God set him apart, you know, to be an evangelist. This one thing I do is it was for him to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was an evangelist. So his, his message was the gospel. It was the good news that Jesus can come into your heart and he can save you and give you everlasting life in heaven. And so, uh, you know, the critics, yeah, he had a, lots of critics, but you know what? He, you know what about Mr. Graham? He never responded to his, his critics. He never responded to them. And so he was... He was definitely knew what he was doing, and he knew God was in it, and it was a blessing in his life, and it's a joy. Hey, even at the Billy Graham Library, for 15 years, we've seen 37,000 decisions for Christ, even at the <laughs> library. And, uh, I, of course, the Internet evangelism today and all the other things that Franklin and Will, we do in evangelism, uh, we just thank God for the souls we see saved uh, by the hundreds and thousands all the time. Yeah, Wayne, I uh, I would I'd have to talk um, too much too long to tell you what Dr. Graham and the, the Billy Graham Association has meant in my life. And I have to say, I sang at the dedication of the Billy Graham Center in Wheaton College a hundred years ago, and uh, the the museum there was. I used to take people people that were non-believers. I would bring them because the experience was so powerful. The way it was set up, it was a walk through, you know, to the cross. And so, absolutely. And I want to say that, you know, the proof is in the pudding, or as the Bible says, test the spirits to see if they be of God. If there are fruits from these conversions, if you talk about people like Janine, who's still leading people to Christ, 1,300 a year, you said, missionaries, yeah. pastors, people in the video who are in their 70s, who will never forget, still tear up about the presence of God in that revival in 1970. And uh, you can remain, those of you listening can remain a skeptic, but I challenge you, I challenge you that God's power is real and present and how we need him right now in our country. So it's a good time to pray. Pray for revival, repent yourself, um, do what you need to do to clean up your life, every thought, every deed, every word, and let's just let God come and heal our country, first us, and then our country. Wayne Atchison, it's been a pleasure. Uh, when, when God used students to wake a nation, by the way, I've ordered it, and so I'm hoping many of you will, when God used students to wake a nation. Wayne, thank you for everything that you've done through the years. Got a great resume, and it's been a pleasure meeting you in this way. Thank you for joining us. 
Thank you. I've, I've been blessed. You're, you're dear, and I thank you for having me on today, Sandy. Thank you. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. All right, Sandy Rios, back with you. That was uh, our second, actually, second episode with Dr. Wayne Atchison. In the first episode, we discussed what's been recently happening happening at Asbury College, and I think you'll, I think you'll want to go back and listen to that because today was certainly rich when Wayne was talking about the first revival that took place there in 1970. My husband, my sweetheart, is sitting next to me, and uh, Bruce, do you, can you kind of describe the world as you remember it in 1970? Well, I was. Um just getting ready to go into high school, and really, that that was such a turbulent time. You know, we were ending the 60s and beginning the, beginning the 70s. The Vietnam War was raging, and boy, talk about a, a division point between people. That really split our country, and um, if there was ever a time where the country needed a revival, that would have been it. Yes, I remember uh, Watts was burning. Uh, there were burning cities. Uh, there was a huge divide. The racial tensions came to a, a head. It wasn't just the hippies and the drugs. It was everything. It was uh, children raised on Dr. Spock who were raised without discipline um, and rebelled against their parents had no respect whatsoever, which that's a very big thing to God, a very big thing, Bruce. Uh, it, it often, it, it actually reflects much of what's going on today. Yes. And if this... Revival at Asbury does continue and, and turn into uh, what it did in the 1970. It would be very appropriate that that is the situation from back then and up un- until this time now. You know, one difference um, in the 70s was there were, it was not the lostness, and I'm not talking about spiritual, that's part of it too, but the loss, the misdirection, the confusion, the rioting, the rebellion took place in a, a, cer- a certainly a huge segment of young people, but there was still a huge other segment of young people, I was part of that, who work, uh, did respect their parents, did work hard in school, were you know, getting great educations and making a difference in the world. It was, a, it was like we, were, we had two groups of kids then, two completely different groups of kids, and I remember seeing I had no patience. I hated what they did. I hated as I hated Woodstock. I hated all of that. I hated the movies they made during that time, and I found myself angry all the time at what they were doing to our country. But it was frightening, you know. Uh, remember, in Kenton State, uh, police had killed some of the students. Uh, the college campuses were shutting down. They were burning the buildings. They were uh, storming uh, the the administration offices, but not nicely. You know, it was violent. It was frightening. It was frightening. And in the midst of this comes this, not only the revival among the hippies, uh, the, G- the Jesus people came out of that, uh, but uh, also came this revival um, just of guys in the Vietnam War. That God was, his spirit was moving and how badly we needed that. And now you see at Asbury, in this midst right now, where kids are... By now, even Christians have grown up to believe that gender is fluid, uh, that you can choose what sex you want to be, that you can marry a man or a woman, that homosexuality isn't so bad after all. All kinds of things that we would have been uh, shocked at in the past are acceptable. 
Yeah, if you think about the difference in 50 years, if you would have mentioned the the uh, situations that you just spoke about that are being uh, believed by kids now that it's okay to, to do those things, even the kids in the 70s, I think, would have rolled their eyes back in disbelief, like that's never going to happen. And uh, it just shows you when we get away from God, this is what happens is this kind of behavior breaks out. I mean, you look at civilizations throughout history. These are the kind of things that split them apart and ruin them. The, the sexual uh, sins, uh, the love of self, the debauchery, and mm-hmm. this is where we're heading right now. Yeah, and so into all of this, into all of this cesspool comes a move of God's Holy Spirit at Asbury, and um, and spreading other places. So I find myself wondering, is really this the third? Is God going to bring a third great awakening? There's certainly awakening at Asbury. Will it be a great awakening that transforms the country? I pray. I pray. It is so. And I would like to encourage those of you who are Christ followers, as I am and Bruce is, that you would be more faithful to pray for that very thing. Nothing to be afraid of, something to be tremendously excited about. So let's pray for it. Uh, I want to just say some practical things as we uh, say goodbye to you today. You know that you can find us on any podcast platform, whether it's um, Apple or Spotify or Amazon or fill in the blank. You can also, of course, our home base is AFR.net, AFR.net. And you can find us on all the social media platforms, at least most of them, Rumble, YouTube and True Social, Getter, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can go to sandyrios.com to find out more about Sandy Rios 24-7. All right, well, we are so happy that you listened today. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, any last word from you, sweetheart? Yeah, when we hit our knees tonight, let's all really pray for revival. Yes. All right. And with that, we say goodbye. Sandy Rios 24-7 is over and out.